Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining me today on Michigan Minds. I look forward to hearing all the insightful information that you'll be sharing. But before we begin, could you please introduce yourself and share a little about your role at U of M? Sure. Uh, I'm Professor Joe Trumpy. I have uh, an appointment. My home school is the Stamp School of Art and Design, but I also have an appointment with the Program in the Environment through LSA, an appointment at SEAS, the School for Environmental and Sustainability. And I also direct the university's uh, Sustainable Living Experience, which is a first-year living learning community focused on sustainability. Thank you for sharing that. So we'll jump right into our first question for you. How does your work professionally and personally collide with sustainability? My background is that of a science illustrator. So I've always been interested in communicating science to folks. Um, and my personal practice really revolves around a farm uh, that uh, my wife and I have built up over the years. So we, um, we grow about 50 to 60% of our annual food budget. Um, so we're really pretty deeply engaged in thinking about sustainable food systems over the 30 years, 30 plus years we've been farming also has grown out into thinking about sustainable energy and water and uh, soil conditions and the like. Um, so I've designed and built a farmstead that is likely still the Michigan's biggest straw bale homestead um, that's 100% off the grid and we've been off the grid um, for about 15 years now and uh, haven't burned a gram of fossil fuel to heat the house, heat our water, cook our food for about 12 Michigan winters. So really digging in deep, thinking about sustainable energy and sustainable food. That's amazing. Wow. That's a very long time too. That's very impressive. With sustainability and Earth Month kind of in mind, how do you work to practice these efforts while working with your students? Well, I'm a, I'm a maker through and through. So, you know, a lot of my teaching is studio based. So getting students to be able to experience and visualize and uh, actually see some of these green practices um, is really important. So, um, you know, I've been working with the campus farm since its inception. You know, my sustainable living experience has a lot of really hands-on components, having students track their weekly garbage output, their weekly food consumption, their weekly water consumption, all of those sorts of things really hands-on. That, that's led into thinking about how, how does local resilient maker culture overlap with U of M sustainable culture? Um, and that's kind of what led us down a path of really working hard to make these sustainability cords, these honor cords, have a deeper, richer story than just the cord itself, it's really a story about making the cords. Absolutely. And so you mentioned these honors cords. Could you talk a little more about your involvement in the Excellence and Sustainability Honors Cord Program? So I was one of the co-chairs for um, the President's Commission on Carbon Neutrality on Campus Culture and Communication. Um, and a big part of that report uh, is really focusing on how carbon neutrality uh, needs to be an educational and hands-on opportunity for all of our Michigan U of M citizens. Um, so as Alex Bryan, my colleague uh, in student life, 
we were talking about ways to build deeper communities that build over time over a student's academic career, but also uh, after they graduate and um, how can we create a system of honoring their activities, but also part of that benefit is um, a physical manifestation of the award, which is the honors cord, uh, but then also helping them network with each other. And you know, U of M has such a powerful alumni association as it is, but being able to, to lean into sustainability culture uh, and continue to grow that because that's exactly what I'm doing with first year undergrads and the sustainable living experience and trying to build leadership skills and thinking about things that they can do on campus to change their community. Uh, and of course, that leans out into, you know, other parts of the world that they occupy and think about personal spaces and community spaces, shared spaces, policy, etc. Absolutely. Could you explain for our listeners the process of gathering the wool and the dyeing process for those honor courts? Sure. We're in the second year of doing the honors courts. Um, the first year we were a little bit short on time uh, as far as materials went, but we, um, as Alex and I talked about it, I mean, it just didn't feel right to buy nylon cords. I mean, when you look at buying honors cords, which, you know, I think a lot of students and people are familiar with the cords that people wear at graduation that honor their academic activities or extracurriculars and the like. And usually they're some sort of polyester or nylon material. Uh, which is made out of fossil fuels. So we were concerned about, you know, having mixed messages and, and how could we have something that really matches the message of the sustainability cords. Um, so the first year we did a plant-based cord, which was made out of raffia. And uh, we did um, some synthetic dyes on those and students hand braided those. I don't remember how many students we did that first year. Um, and then um, we started to think about, you know, the local fiber shed. The fact that I've been growing sheep for 30 years, I'm pretty familiar with uh, wool culture and um, uh, the place of Michigan in, in fiber culture. And there's still um, some really good woolen mills in the state. Um, so again, really starting to think about uh, local production of, we have a food shed, but we also have a fiber shed. Um, so instead of thinking about a fossil fuel based material that's probably manufactured and Put together overseas and we don't know much about the labor circumstances or you know who those people were and how it was put together um, is in question because it's difficult to find third-party certified uh, products we decided that it would be good for us to do it ourselves uh, and that's part of some resilient thinking and also you know it's just a really beautiful way for students to be thinking about you know other humans on campus so you know, they self-select as being people that want to take care of the planet. Uh, and, you know, we're constantly talking about, well, part of that is taking care of each other and working together in teams and being part of a community. Uh, and this turned out to be a really nice way for students to come together and be actually putting these cords together, thinking about, you know, the students that are graduating. And I think that's also really helpful leadership development skills uh, for students to be able to visualize where they can be in a couple, three years or next year uh, and think about those other students as mentors. And hopefully, you know, going through that process when they earn their sustainability cords, you know, they're going to be thinking about those students that are in the pipeline that are making those cords for them. So it's a, you know, it's a nice way to honor each other by supporting just through a, you know, a simple cord. 
but the actual process of getting the wool together, um, we're actually thinking about ways of deepening that process. So this year we purchased spun yarn from the Zeilinger wool mill in Frankenmuth. So it used Michigan wool, uh, but they have the machinery to actually spin the wool into yarn. Um, so we purchased that yarn already pre-spun, um, but we're able to use uh, dye plants, so natural dye processes. Um, we collected a bunch of goldenrod out at the botanical gardens by the campus farm to dye one of the strands yellow. We have a project going on with the School of Art and Design in the campus farm to grow dye plants. So we have a dye garden out at the campus farm. So one of the plants we grow is indigo. So we were able to use that indigo to dye a strand blue. And then we used a third strand, just leaving it the natural light whitish uh, wool color. Um, and then I manufactured some little twisting machines and through some work days, well, some students helped uh, dye the plants or dye the, the wool together um, with our studio coordinator here at the School of Art and Design. Uh, and then we've had numerous work days where students would take that dyed yarn and braid it together or spin it together to make these cords. This next year, um, we've backed up a step in the process and instead of buying yarn from uh, the Zeilinger Wool and Mill, we've purchased carded wool. So it's roving. Uh, and we've also uh, purchased a couple of spinning wheels and made some drop spindles. And I'm teaching students how to spin the wool into yarn. So we're one step closer. And so some of this hand spun yarn will be used next year with the natural dyes to make the cords. And eventually long-term goals would be actually to uh, on occasion bring in some sheep and do some grazing on campus, uh, be able to do some you know, carbon-free mowing uh, and use some of that wool in this process too. That'll be a little bit more symbolic. We won't be able to have all of that wool grown from grazing on campus, but getting students to kind of see the full process and have hands on through the full process is intriguing and fun for them. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that whole process. And I'm looking forward to seeing where this grows in the future. You mentioned the Sustainable Living Experience course. Could you elaborate a little more on that, please? Sure, that course is a required seminar course for uh, the students that are in residence in the Sustainable Living Experience, which is our first year undergrad in residence uh, living learning community that's focused on sustainability. They live in Oxford houses over by the Arboretum. With this experience, what other things do these students get to do? Um, quite a few different activities. Um, you know, we have camping equipment, they can go out camping. We have uh, weekends that they work uh, on natural restoration projects at local parks. They do projects with the cafeteria that's called Twigs through M Dining. Um, I have them working on a bunch of different exercises, really starting to pay attention to their own personal waste streams, collecting their garbage. So for example, their very first day of class, I give them a garbage bag and they have to collect all of their garbage for a week and carry it with them for the week. And then at the end of the week, we weigh it and sort it. And they write a little reflection paper about you know what it's like to think about if they had to be uh, responsible for all of their waste. And we do similar things about tracking their water use, their electrical use, uh, their food consumption patterns. So it's a lot of really personal living uh, sorts of discussions and the fact that they live together 
in a in a house they're talking about it and working on that all together at the same time um, so it's a really nice way for students to enter the university with a shared kind of value or goal and they kind of they do have an instant group of friends that helps them navigate the bigger university so it's a good way to get them excited and engaged. And, you know, it is a gateway experience to um, other sustainability activities on campus. Sounds like a great experience for first year students. Mm -hmm. I know that one of your other classes is a green building class. And this class focuses on a lot of things, but I know that one part of this is some straw bale houses. Um, and there's one located on the campus farm and at the bio station um, up in Northern Michigan. Could you elaborate on that process and what your students do in that class? Sure. Um, that class, uh, oftentimes uh, we have a hands-on component in that course, it's a studio course. Uh, it's a, uh, actually owned by the program in the environment and cross-listed with uh, the School of Art and Design. Um, so the students learn a lot about uh, green building techniques, conventional green building, as well as um, what would be called natural building, certification schemes, what the university does. They evaluate some buildings on campus and off campus. And then oftentimes we get prepped to work with a partner and actually do some uh, build work and oftentimes some design work uh, that uh, will lead into future courses uh, because there's a long lead time between the design phase and the build phase. But yeah, back in uh, 2016, we designed uh, a small 400 square foot straw bale building up at the bio station uh, and went up there the month of May and actually built, you know, started broke ground on May 3rd and built this whole building by the end of the month. So a really intense experience for I think we had 25 students at that uh, in that iteration, um, and you know it's not like the students are in any sort of a construction program, or you know a lot of them haven't used tools before. So it's a really empowering uh, experience for them to be, you know, some of them have a hard time visualizing what's going on, and like, you know, so by the end of the month to go from nothing to this building is like crazy, and to have them start to um, understand the power of being in a team working effectively as a team, uh, communicating in a team, while learning a, a bunch of new hand skills. Um, it's a really intense month, but it's also a super empowering month. And then we replicated um, building on the success of that project. Like I mentioned, I've been advising the campus farm since its inception. And they really, the campus farm is located at the Botanical Gardens out on Dixborough Road. They really didn't have a nice, landing place for people to kind of gravitate to. So working and partnering with the campus farm manager, Jeremy Mogtotter, you know, he and I spent a good amount of time thinking about where the building should be located, what it should be like. Um, you know, at the time we called it the heart of the campus farm and, and he's kind of morphed that into the hearth of the campus farm. Um, so it's a little bit bigger. It's a, it's a 600 square foot building. Both of them are off grid buildings. Um, they're fun to think about, but they're the first student built buildings on campus in over 100 years. Uh, and they're the first actual 100% off grid uh, solar powered buildings on campus as well. That's, that's very cool. And what a cool experience for your students. Yeah, for sure. So as a faculty member at Stamps, can you describe the importance of recognizing the need for sustainability and the impact that it could make? Sure, I think there's a couple different ways to think about that. I mean, one is, you know, embedding sustainability across 
a broad spectrum of maker cultures. So getting people to think about the materials and the energy that we use, and we're making some progress in terms of thinking about how we source good materials. In my green building class, we, we talk about that a lot. Um, and you know, that's the kind of, the, that is the story of these sustainability cords of how do you source good materials for the work that you do? Um, so number one, you've got to benchmark the materials that you do use and start to ask harder questions about Hey, what resources does this consume? Uh, how much energy does it consume? Who are the people that are involved? Uh, who are the what, what's the ecosystems, the plants, the animals that are all affected by the extraction of these resources? So just starting to ask those questions and understanding that if there's you know bad energy and good energy, can we start using good energy? If there's bad paper and good paper, can we start using good paper? If there's you know bad fiber and good fiber, can we start using good fiber? I think that's one one point to be thinking about um, in a studio-based curriculum. Uh, and then the other thing is, is having students take on environmental uh, concepts uh, as either inspiration, and certainly um, working in nature is inspirational, but also working with communities um, that uh, are dealing with issues of the environment is also empowering. I teach a, a course every fall that's called Environmental Murals Partnership. Uh, and our partner for that course is a couple of really amazing community activists in Detroit uh, that are in the zip code. They live in the zip code 48217, um, which is Michigan's most polluted zip code. Uh, and our main partner, her name is Teresa Landrum. And Teresa has educated herself on the language of the EPA. She's educated herself on the language of all the pollutants in her neighborhood. And we start out the class by going over and touring the neighborhood. She does these what are called toxic tours of Detroit um, that's hosted through the Sierra Club. So we'll start at the Marathon oil refinery, which is a tremendous polluter. And the oil that they're refining, part of the oil that they're refining is coming from line five. So it's Enbridge oil, tar sands oil that's moving through the Straits of Mackinac, which a lot of Michigan students are familiar with. Um, but it's really life uh, altering for the students to be walking with Teresa and hearing about cancers and asthma and smelling the pollution and seeing the houses. I mean, it's clearly an environmental justice issue uh, of uh, folks having to breathe that air that's associated with making and refining the oil that we all consume in the state. There's also uh, a coal-fired power plant. There's the water treatment plant. There's a salt mine. There's the border crossing. I mean, it just all piles on each other. <clears throat> and then once the students understand that context and understand some of the issues, we start talking to building owners in and around the neighborhood. Uh, and then we go through a process of creating plans for a mural and talking with the partners about what the mural should be. And then it's a, a race to kind of beat the weather in fall semester to get the thing painted before uh, the weather turns bad. So, you know, that's an example of students taking on kind of environmental activism uh, of what it would be like to be a change agent, to, to work with partners, to understand other people's voices, to build empathy and use a creative process to amplify their voice. And in this case, really support the work of Teresa and the other activists in the community uh, to make them feel heard, which helps them, helps energize them, and also educates the broader community about like, hey, this is an issue and I'm not alone and 
people are thinking about us and working together. Absolutely. It sounds like your students have a lot of great experiences and a lot that they can learn from you in and out of the classroom. It is almost time to wrap up, but I do have one more question for you. Sure. Is there anything else that you would like to share that's related to your work or your sustainability efforts? I think we covered a lot of different ideas. Um, I can mention the, um, you know, back to the sustainability cords and just the idea of sheep and wool on campus. Um, I recently uh, offered and brought in some sheep to shear uh, up on North Campus this uh, spring and brought in four sheep and uh, was astounded at how many students and staff members and other faculty were even interested in coming in and just walking, watching and talking to me about sheep and what it uh, what it's like to grow sheep and the wool and what happens to it. You know, it's just great to be able to do that kind of work get other people involved, get their hands on it and start to ask and think about these questions. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for all the insightful information. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.